When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. If you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code stuff and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's uh, Saturday edition of Stuff You Should Know, the Selects edition. Uh, this is my pick this week, and I'm going to go with How Hip Hop Works from July 11, 2013. Uh, a little more than four years ago, and I just remember this being a great episode. Um, I learned a lot about it, and I was someone who was into the music side of hip-hop in college, uh, but hip-hop is much more uh, than music. Uh, it's about an entire uh, culture, which encompasses many different things. So give it a listen, and as always, if you've heard it once, uh, you might find something new upon a second listen, and I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. I'm on mic one. He's on mic three. Jerry's on the wheels of steel. And this is Stuff You Should Know, the podcast. That's right. Terminator X is uh, to our right. Yes. That's you, Jerry. That's my favorite DJ. Is it? Oh, man. Unbelievable stuff. I think DJ Hurricane is pretty great. Yeah, it's well, pretty great. True. Yeah, I mean, if you go back and listen to Beastie Boys stuff, the stuff that he was doing, yeah, it's like I grew up with it, so I took it for granted. But sure, like, with many things, as a grown up now, I'm looking back and like that was pretty amazing. Yeah, I'm still gonna go with Terminator X, just like by fractions of a point, though. Yeah, I, I put them at the top. Yeah, not like Cool Herc. Hey, cool Herc, man. He's what they call the OG Chuck. Spoiler alert. Yeah, we should say that um, we're foraying into territory where we have little or no business because we're pretty square. But we can still talk about hip hop. That's not true. I was I was into this stuff at one point. I was into it, too. I'm still square. Yeah, but I think we have business, just as much business as we would any other music. All right, fine. You know? We're cool then, man. We're cool to cool. <laughs> is that cool? Okay, you, you don't have any business doing this. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about hip-hop today. It has a, uh, a very long tradition that dates all the way back to Africa, which, as we'll see. Um, but then the modern incarnation is a little more recent. Still, it's kind of old. Yeah. It's got some pretty surprising and interesting roots. But we should say, um, and this is something that I was always hung up on for a long time, and uh, Catherine Neer, who wrote this article, um, goes to... to points this out the difference between hip-hop and rap they're not the same thing right it's like the square and the rectangle thing yeah exactly <laughs> so moving on 
<laughs> uh, no, hip hop is more like a uh, it's a cultural movement. It's more than just rap. Rap is a type of music that falls under the umbrella of hip hop. So you can say that rap is part of hip hop, right? But hip hop is not necessarily rap. rap. Yeah, like the square and the rectangle. They go hand in hand, though, you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you know, I was trying to find out who coined uh, the term hip hop, and it's one of those things where there's a bunch of people that that kind of get credit for it. Oh yeah, yeah. Everyone from, I mean, some people say Keith Cowboy Wiggins from uh, Grandmaster Flash, he was definitely the one, and then other people say no, it was DJ Hollywood or Lovebug Starsky. Then other people say, what about Sugar Hill Gang or Herc? Sure. So I don't know if it's been pinpointed, but it was uh, used in print in 1981 for the first time in the Village Voice, although it was surely used in the late 70s and, uh, you know, on the street. Yeah, because Herc was, I mean, he coined a lot of terms. Like, that's one of the interesting things about this is, like, we can trace it back pretty confidently and find, like, actual origins of this, what's become this global, international, cultural phenomenon. We have seen the birth of a new music form in our lifetimes, which is pretty cool. We have. And that's the only one. No, that's not true. What about, like, electronica? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. But you could also say that that was sort of the same as, like, synthesizer mm-hmm. from, like, the 70s. Right. Yeah, but that was, like, used in rock and roll. I don't know. M- maybe that counts. I think it counts. You do? Sure. Electronica, hip-hop. Um, EDM, that's electronica, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, electronic dance music. Yeah. So, yeah. But I would say, yeah, I, th- I would say that qualifies. Even okay. still, it doesn't diminish the birth of hip-hop. No, of course not. I mean, there's two. That's better than one, right? <laughs> that's right. So, Chuck, when you're talking hip-hop and you talk to a cultural historian about hip-hop and say, what is hip-hop? They're pretty much going to give you four aspects that combined make up the cultural movement of hip-hop, right? Yeah, and Catherine, who wrote this, uh, is a historical, cultural his- historist. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they call it. Historian. Um, and I can't remember her her graduate degree, but it has something to do with this very closely. I just can't remember exactly what it was in. So that's why when you read this, you're like, man, Catherine really got into this article. For sure. It's, you know? it's pretty broad, and there's a lot of info here. Yeah, so we should get to it. Uh, the four things, and it started out as just like graffiti, breakdancing, emceeing, and DJing, and rapping. These are days you might see it uh, portrayed more as visual arts, uh, graffiti included in that, but film and other graphic arts, uh, written and spoken word, um, so not just rapping and emceeing, but performance poetry. Uh, physical movement, um, which is not just breakdancing, but a lot of dance styles, right? including my favorite, the crumping. Crumping's pretty cool. Dude, it's unbelievable. It's just some, somebody going nuts. It's awesome and so, like, herky-jerky yet controlled. And I, I just – I could never in my wildest dreams do it. So I think that's why it appeals to me. But that's – yeah, that's – the fact that it's not controller doesn't appear control is what differentiates it from the herky-jerky dancer from Mr. Show. <laughs> Remember him? Yeah. And then the final one is uh, style, which is, of course, fashion and, uh, you know, just the hip-hop style in general. Right. Everything from clothing to to bling and, you know, the lifestyle. Yep. All and right. Like we said, the, the history of, of hip-hop, especially the music, um, can be traced all the way back to Africa. And we would trace the modern birth of it to the South Bronx, the South-South Bronx. Yeah. But uh, leading up to that... You would uh, join the uh, slave ships coming into the West Indies, as they were called back then, 
and these uh, slaves who were captured and transported to the New World, I'm making air quotes, yeah. um, brought with them this tradition called uh, griotism. Uh, along, which was a form of like familial storytelling. It was an oral tradition. Yeah. Very frequently set to drums. Yeah. And there was also very frequently uh, dancing. Yeah. And a lot of that dancing, as you showed me, um, very much resembles dancing that you see today, hip-hop style dance. Not very much, like absolutely. Yeah. You know? Right. So you've got um, this presence of this, what's now uh, an African-American um I guess, style or um, cultural identity, right, that's evolved out of Africa. And music and, and movement and um, drum rhythms are a big part of it, right? Yeah, and, uh, of course, call and response uh, in church mm-hmm. was a big part of it, um, as well as, you know, gospel and calypso and salsa and, of course, jazz and the blues. Right. It's all rolled up as influences that eventually made its way to uh, Jamaica, yeah, uh, to soldiers who were American soldiers stationed there in World War II. Yeah, so we made our way from uh, Africa, yeah, to the West Indies, um, up to America, mm-hmm. and then there was that boom, that birth of like jazz and all that, that made it then down back to Jamaica, part of what were the West Indies. Yeah, it's, it's a weird little circle. Um, so when it gets uh, taken back to World uh, to Jamaica in World War II, there was something going on there in the Caribbean that was pretty cool and really the birth of what hip-hop and rap would become. Yeah. They had uh, DJs there who had these big portable sound systems, and they would go play block parties and house parties and street parties and um, started a tradition called toasting, Yeah, which was sort of like early rap. It was um, kind of like the freestyle stuff in 8 Mile. Like A lot of times they were trying to one-up other DJs or cut down other DJs, mm-hmm. and um, it was included over the music. And uh, have you have you ever listened to like a reggae show today, like reggae fire on album 88? Oh, yeah. So like, you know how like they'll just turn on the music for a second. and It'll say something. And they'll turn the music back up. and They'll turn it down again. And, yeah. And I think that's toasting. Yeah. I listened to some of it, too. like the early 80s toasting. Am I right? Um, yeah. OK. <laughs> uh, and that that led to two different types of new reggae music, um, which is talk over and dub. Talk over is kind of what we were just talking about. The right. toasting over music and then dub just you know, changed the song musically with, like, echo and mm. massive amounts of bass or treble, reverb, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, it was like a what you'd call now like a remix of a song, but it usually followed certain lines, like a lot of echo yeah. or, or always a lot more bass than the original version. Yeah, exactly. And they would throw that on the B-sides of the record, so yeah. you'd have the regular version and the dub version. Right. Right? So all this is going on in Jamaica. Yeah. And in the 60s... Um, there was a kid named Clive Campbell who lived in Jamaica and grew up around this toasting, um, street parties, portable sound systems. Talk over. Yeah. Yeah. Dub. You know, basically changing and altering music to make it sound cooler with a heavier bass line. Yeah. Um, and this kid, Clive Campbell, he moved to the Bronx in 1967. Yeah. And he eventually became somebody known as Cool Herc, who was the DJ who most people say was the originator of hip-hop. That's right. That's cool with a K, DJ oh, yeah. Cool Herc. He's he, a legend. He, oh, yeah, he is. Okay, so Cool Herc also, by the way, started the tradition of naming yourself as someone else. Oh, yeah. You know, he wasn't Clive. He was DJ Cool Herc. Right. And that became, of course, a tradition in rap and hip-hop. It did, as we'll see. Uh, so he had a big uh, gig early on. His sister, 
I've heard various things from birthday party to back to school party. And um, he was well known as a tagger, uh, like graffiti tagger, which we'll get to in a minute, how mm-hmm. that uh, plays a role. So people just showed up uh, en masse to see who this famous tagger was. Like, we, DJ Cool Herc's going to be there. Let's go check it out. Right. So it was like a lot of folks there. Yeah, they came for the tagging and stayed for the DJing. <laughs> That's right. Because they what, what they found at that time, and we're talking uh, the 70s, right? Maybe the mid to late 70s? Yeah. Um, if you went to a party and the DJ was there, the DJ just played a record and then it ended. And, you know, maybe yeah, if they were good, it was like the, the next one came on. Yeah. Right. Before the first one ended. And it was, again, uh, if you listen to the How Disco Works uh, episode. Yeah. This is where, you know, this all came out of, like, was this block party right here, basically. Right. This is the birth of just not just disco or not just hip hop, but disco, too. That's right. And um, so they went, they saw that he was doing some pretty cool stuff. He had two turntables and a microphone. <laughs> and um, he uh, he saw that when people were dancing, they would just kind of stand around. And then when like a really good part of the song would come up with lots of great beats or whatever, yeah, they'd dance. And he figured out along the way, and I think he figured out before this block party happened, um, that if you just take two versions of the same record, mm-hmm. you can keep that one part going over and over again and just switch back and forth between the records playing that same part, and people will dance all the time. So when all those people turned out for a sister's party to see the graffiti tagger Herc, they came up against this DJing, and that was that. Yeah, it was, it's called a break beat, and it's typically like a drum break. And that's what the DJ is doing, if you don't know anything about it, when they have the little headphones up to their ears, is they're queuing up the spot on the second record so they can crossfade or toggle in the early ages right over to that next one without missing a beat. Right. And like you said, the dance party would just keep going on and on. They were right. Like, this is insane. Yeah, they were like, is this record ever going to end? No. <laughs> uh, but Cool Herc also did something else, too, that would give rise to this, right? He was big into toasting. That's right. So he started doing the talk over. Uh, evidently, the DJing became a little too complicated because, I mean, this was, it's much easier nowadays with your, your eye devices to fake all this stuff. Right. But back then, they were like pioneering electronics and like figuring this stuff out. Yeah. And in fact, Grandmaster Flash was like the real guy. Well, he was. He invented uh, the crossfader. Yeah. And like he was really into electronics and figuring that junk out. Right. So because it got more and more technical, it wasn't just playing a song and then like kind of turning down the volume for a second and talking over it and turning the volume back up. Yeah. Um, if you wanted to toast, it was tough to kind of balance those two things. So Cool Herc enlisted the aid of uh, Rock and Clark Kent to come toast for him. The Herculoids. Yeah, that's who they became. <laughs> and they inadvertently established rapping. Yeah, Cochlear Rock is generally regarded as the first rapper. That's so cool, man. I know. DJing got too technically involved, so they had to get somebody else to toast, and that became rapping. Yeah. That is so cool that like you can trace it back to that instance. Yeah, and they, they started uh, freestyle dancing, too, and they're known as the first B-Boys, uh, which is another term, I think, that Herc coined, mm-hmm. B-Boys and B-Girls, yeah. which are breakdancers. Um, so things start really kind of exploding from here with the, on the DJ scene. Um, Africa, Bambata. <laughs> <laughs> Who, like you point out, was not born with that name. He named himself. Yeah, Kevin Donovan. <laughs> yeah. Same with... Um, Grandmaster Flash. His parents did not name him Grandmaster. His name was Joseph Sadler. Right. 
they were early on um, in the scene. Bimbada was actually a former gang member, and so he saw the uh, the bad effects, the ill effects of gangs, and decided to form the Zulu Nation, which is like an awareness group, mm-hmm. to steer kids in a more positive direction in life. Yeah, and that was sort of the foundation of hip hop. Yeah, early on was positivity and silliness. Yeah, doing the right thing. Talking about food you like to eat. Yeah. Or, in contrast, talking about having a bad experience during a meal at another friend's house. Yeah, was that a song? Yeah. <laughs> My Bad Meal? I can't remember what song it was. It might have been like rap, like the extended version yeah. of Rapper's Delight, but one of those really early songs. Yeah. Um, like they talk about going to your friend's house and the mom can't cook. It's all like very sweet and innocent. Be, yeah, super. <laughs> and, and it was all very positive, too. Uh, so Grandmaster Flash was a, a key um, innovator because, like I said, he was really into electronics, built the first crossfader. Um, he is the first one that started punch phrasing, yeah. which is uh, it's usually like a horn blast and just inserting a very short, quick bit of another song over a song. Right. It's not. It's using two records, but not necessarily the same record, two versions of the same record. Yeah. But you're still working them together. That's like modern DJing. Now. That's right. And it's used to just like punctuate something. Um, scratching, he did not invent. That was Grand Wizard Theodore, supposedly. Oh, wow. And the story goes there is that he's in his uh, bedroom playing a record and his mom comes in. It's like, turn that stuff off. And, you know, he stops it with his hand. Then he's like, wait a minute, that sounded kind of cool. <laughs> and just started doing it. And uh, then Grandmaster Flash, like, you know, really perfected it. That's awesome. That's his mom form. came into his room to tell That's him to the turn story. It off. It, even if it's not true, I love it. <laughs> um,. And beatbox, which is not um, the Fat Boys stuff, right? No, but they, you know they're pretty good at it. No, that's beatboxing. Oh yeah, he created the beatbox, which is hooking a drum machine yeah. up to your turntables and just going to town. Yeah, and I think that would help um, segue from one song to another to create just like a seamless effect. Yeah. All right, so this is all going on in the in the early '80s. Then they started act. These were just like parties at first. Then they actually started recording hip-hop music. Got played on the radio. Mr. Magic's Rap Attack premiered in 1983 in New York City. Yeah. It's the first hip-hop show. And then uh, MC started kind of coming to the forefront more as, like, you know, the leader of the band instead of the DJ. Yeah, you remember the huge confusion that uh, DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince ran into. Every they? Yeah, they <laughs> named, it like, their second album, like, I'm... Uh, I'm the rapper, he's the DJ. Oh, really? Yeah, because everybody thought the Fresh Prince was DJ Jazzy Jeff because they were caught in this transition where it's like, wait, I thought the DJ was supposed to be the front man of a group. But right. Yeah, it was the Fresh Prince. And Will Smith Prince. was like, no, 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 no. Yeah. So they named a they named an album to clear things up. You yeah. don't remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah. He's the perfect example of those early sweet songs, though. Sure. Because his were all about, you know, I'm hanging out with my buddies and... We're playing some games. <laughs> yeah. You know. Although there's one about an extended uh, an extended story about a traffic accident that leads to a court case, and he's sure that it's not his fault, but the lady's fault. Was it like he was uh, double parked or something? <laughs> no, no. She hit him. Oh, okay. It was, it was about a fender bender? Yes. <laughs> That's as dark as he got. Yeah. Until the millennium. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, so, now we're in the 1980s. Um, Early things, 80s. Things start kind of crossing over, of course, with Blondie's Rapture, which we all knew and loved. Yep. Right? And uh, The Clash's Magnificent Seven, which is very much hip-hoppy in tone. Yeah. And some genuine stars start to kind of pop up on the scene, like Run DMC. Fab Five Freddy. LL Cool J. Yeah. Beastie Boys. 
Pete the, Rock. Uh, and did we, Smith. we already mentioned the Sugar Hill Gang, right? Uh, I don't think we did. We do. We have to mention the Sugar Hill. Yeah, Gang. of course. They had the first hit rap record yeah. ever, Rapper's Delight. Sure. And it was released, I think, in 1983, maybe the same year as Rap Attack came out. Was it? And it was like that put rap on the map. Yeah, and people are like, "What is this music?" And uh, Chuck, those who listened again to the disco podcast will note that they made that record using Le Chic's Good Times. That's right. It all happened together. Yeah, sampling, too, I think we covered that in. Yeah. Boy, this is really all coming together, isn't it? Man, it is. All right, so the industry's <laughs> changing a little bit at the time as well. Uh, Sugar Hill Records closes, Def Jam pops up. Yeah. Uh, women all of a sudden are in the mix with Salt and Pepper and... Uh, MC Light. Yeah, Queen Latifah, of course. Yeah. Um, they paved the way for people like Lauren Hill, who I think just filed for bankruptcy. Did she? I think so. She fell on rough times, didn't she? Yeah, man, the Fuji's had that one album... There, there's quite a few rap groups that had like one classic album, and then that was it. Yeah, like uh, Black Star and uh, Fuji's, and um, I was trying to think of those one more. But you know, usually they would break up like they did and become their own independent artists. That's how that right. happens. Yeah, like Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg, or N.W.A. and Dr. Dre. Yeah, or um, Wu Tang Clan, Goody Mob, of course. Yeah, CeeLo. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. S-Y-S-K. You should know. S-Y-S-K. You should know. Josh Clark. Um, 
so where are we? Oh yeah, Public Enemy comes on the scene with like the Black Nationalism right. movement. Um, MTV gets on it because it spreads from the East Coast to the West Coast. Yeah, in 1988, Yo MTV Raps came out, and I remember being so happy that that happened. Really? I remember being that age and thinking, like, where are the rap videos? Like, come on, MTV, yeah. waiting for them to do this, and they finally did. And then after that, it was like, okay, you can start playing these through the day, and then they finally did. About a year later, apparently, according to this article. Yeah, after Yo MTV, it was like exclusively on Yo MTV Raps, of right, course, like, right? Which was like a half hour, an hour. And that was it. And I think they started making it more than just once a week. But then finally, it's just like, forget it. We'll just put, we'll put rap on alongside of um, Def Leppard. Right. And I don't think the world will end. <laughs> or we'll put Run DMC in the same video as Aerosmith. Yeah, and I wonder if that helped pave the way to just kind of like, oh sure, break the cell walls between these genres on MTV. You know? Yeah, I think for sure. Yeah. It knocked down some walls. Run DMC, super pioneers. Knocked down walls. Remember the video? Yeah, they kicked walls down. They kicked walls down, literally. Metaphorically and figuratively, <laughs> huh? Oh, no, uh, wait. I messed that up big time. Literally and metaphorically. Right. I said metaphorically and figuratively. Yeah, and literally. All yes. three. So we are, are now progressing on to uh, gangster rap. Um, NWA, of course, and Ice-T. Um, Snoop Doggy Dog at first. Yes. Now Snoop Lion. Yeah. Then Snoop Dogg in between. Right. The dirty, dirty... D.O.G., you see. So was it, uh, what, I mean, was it N.W.A., were they the first gangster rap? Um, she mentioned someone called Schooly D, who I haven't heard of, so I don't know if Schooly D was I've before. I've heard his name, but I've never heard his stuff. Yeah. But, I mean, for sure, N.W.A. was the first one to ever, like, take gangster rap and turn it into a hit. Yeah, nice guys with attitudes. Yeah, and then they, they were, um, they were another group that, like, broke up into, like, just, Really successful spinoff recordings. Easy es debut album is arguably one of the best ever made. Yeah, R.I.P. Yeah, uh, Dr. Dre. Yeah. He had, he had a pretty successful career. Well, The Chronic was my soundtrack for like about 18 months in that college. So, and then, you know, Snoop Dogg's was awesome, too. Yeah, he, and Ice he Cube. He discovered him. Ice Cube had a great career, too. MC Ren, DJ Pooh, like, uh, like the whole group was just awesome. Yeah, they just had a show at the Fox like two nights ago. What? Um, LL Cool J, De La Soul, Public Enemy. What? Ice Cube. Uh, and like one or two other acts. It's, How did uh, I not hear about this? LL Cool J put it together. I don't know. It was supposed to be pretty good. The reviews are in the uh, AJC today. Yeah. I'll bet it was good. Yeah. It's like a seven hour show. Yeah. Well, I don't think they each played that long, but I think it's like three and a half hours. Well, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so gangster rap, like we said, that was ushered in and the original intent of hip hop started to get lost at this point. Oh yeah, like, like in a big way. Eating, uh, eating food that you liked and talking yeah. about it. Cheerios for breakfast, is, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was like you were pretty, pretty on the outs as far as hip hop was concerned when NWA came along and started talking about gangster rap, right? Well, not they were side by side there for a while, right? And then gangster rap won out, yeah, because people are cynical, <laughs> uh, and of course the gang violence and uh, drug dealing and poverty. And uh, misogyny were oh, all yeah. hallmarks of, of gangster rap. Yeah, which is still very much around today. Oh, yeah. Um, even though what's interesting, it's like gangster rap was a subgenre of hip hop that eventually came over and or took over and became hip hop. And then now that's broken up into other subgenres. But the source material is typically the same. Yeah. And I think another difference, too, just thinking about it is 
gangster rap back then was very much like I'm poor. Yeah. And now it seems to be more like I'm rich. Right. You know? But I'm still like hail from the ghetto, so I've got True. cred. True. And I'm still very violent and I carry a gun and I'm not afraid to use it, that kind of stuff. Yeah, but like NWA and those guys, they never talked about being having money ever because they didn't. Right. They like were just, early in their careers. They were just poor guys. Right. And they were being kept down and they were upset about it. That's right. To say the least. Uh, so alongside it, though, you did have some great bands um, like Tribe Called Quest. Yeah. And De La Soul and Farside who either had a positive message or were just like Farside just having a good time. Yeah. So well, like, they're from California. Music. Yeah. Those, I love those guys. They had a great, uh, their first album was killer. Bizarre Ride to the Far Side. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was good. Still um, holds up, too, I think. Yeah, totally. Uh, Wu-Tang uh, came around, and, of course, they launched the careers of, like, a dozen guys, it seemed like. Yeah. They were, I mean, they were kind of a hybrid. Like, they would talk about violence and misogyny and all that as well. But they also, it wasn't all it was about. Like, no. there was there were some pretty smart guys involved in Wu-Tang Clan. Oh, yeah, for sure. Tupac? Yeah. She mentions uh, Warren G and Sir Mix-a-Lot. I wasn't so into them. Sir Mix-a-Lot was awesome. He was like kind of a throwback. Like after the transition had been made, Sir Mix-a-Lot was still like talking about butts and buttermilk biscuits and all that stuff. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? Like he yeah, never, uh, and he wore like floor length mink coats and stuff like that. That butts and buttermilk biscuits should yeah. be the name of your rap album. <laughs> yeah. DJ Josh Clark. I've got like an accordion on the yeah. album cover. <laughs> Uh, KRS-One was really big in my life, too. I was a big fan of uh, KRS-One. Yeah, he was great. Down Productions. And then um, both Gangstar and Blackstar I was a big fan of Yeah, at the time. I like Gangstar, too. Yeah, I like awesome. DJ Hurricane, but or, um, DJ Premier. Who's that? He's the Gangstar DJ. Oh, really? Yeah, he, him and Guru. That was Gangstar. Oh, okay. But it, it, and it was like, and I like Guru, but the two of them together, it was always weird to me. Like, it was so... Yeah, I, I was never like I really, even though I really, I think Gangstar's "Code of the Streets" is one of the best rap albums ever made. Yeah, agreed. It's just like they were each doing their own thing side by side. It, it didn't mesh. You think and create something together, but it was like two really talented people doing something amazing at once. I haven't pulled that one out in a while. It's, it's a good one. Um, like you said, more subgenres like combining rap with uh, hard rock music and metal music. Yep, a uh, big deal. Body Count, Ice T's little band. Yeah, I saw them. Did you? Yeah, Lollapalooza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that didn't count. <laughs> <laughs> and then things spread down south, of course, with Two Live Crew, and uh, groups like Outkast and Ludacris and Timbaland and Goody Mob. Yeah, very much like Atlanta-based. Dirty South. Uh, Two Live Crew was Florida, I think, but um, yeah, yeah, the Dirty South. Well, then you have like New Orleans Bounce, and I think that's where like Crumping came from too. Is the South right? I think so. I'm not sure though. Do you know? No. Okay. I asked. Um, things are changing uh, back these days, I think, with um, regards to the gangster thing that's still around. But there are other acts out there that um, Daryl McDaniels of Run DMC said that, you know, it's kind of coming back around because he's like, this, some of this music's great to listen to in a club. But he's like, what are you going to do the rest of the day? Right. Like, we need this to be all day music. Yeah. And like Kanye West, I was a big fan of his early on, not so much now. Yeah. Um. And uh, who's that guy? Drake. He's pretty good. Yeah. You listen to that? No, I haven't listened to any new hip hop in a long time. Kanye, get the college dropout from 2004. Yeah. It's unbelievable. That's his first one? Yeah. That was amazing. We'll check it out. So 
that's a little bit on music. I guess we should talk about graffiti some. Well, yeah, a lot of people say eh, graffiti is its own thing. It's not a part of the four, you know, pillars of hip hop. Right. And people who are into hip hop say, "Shut up." It is too. <laughs> and uh, most people agree that graffiti is pretty much inextractable, extractable from hip hop. But you, you, graffiti came first. Yeah, that's true. Modern graffiti tagging, um, which is another word for it. Um, and if you're into that kind of thing, you should check out our surprisingly interesting episode on how aerosol cans work. <laughs> That's right. Um, started in the 60s, uh, and you can actually trace this back to its point of origin pretty much, too, to a guy named... Um, Demetrius. Right. What was his tag? Taki183. T-A-K-I. Not Turk182. No, but was that based on him, you think? It was inspired by that, yeah. I gotcha. And it was a little Greek kid named Demetrius who in the 60s started, um, well, he was a messenger. Uh, he worked for a messenger service, and he had a marker. And he put that together with his nickname, Taki, and the street they lived on, West 183rd Street. Yep. Which is way up there. Oh, yeah. And uh, he started leaving his tag all over the city. Yeah, and uh, the New York Times wrote an article that you can actually get on his website. It's, like, scanned in there. It's kind of cool to read. Mm -hmm. From 1971 called Taki 183 Spawns Pen Pals. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was the first, you know, it was people were like, this guy's writing his name on things. Right. <laughs> but it's not really his name, and there's numbers. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny to think about now because tagging is just so ubiquitous, you know. Well, he, got, he also got kind of good at making it look a little pretty. Yeah. It wasn't just, you know, he didn't write any cursive or anything like that. And right. He, he developed what became a tag. Like, it was the same thing every time after a while. Yeah. Um, and Cool Herc actually became a tagger. Yeah. And from that started emulating Taki 183. And that was how people came to new, know Cool Herc before he was a DJ. That's right. And, of course, it just it evolved beyond tagging. As everybody on the planet knows, mm -hmm. um, it became an art form unto itself. Uh, building murals, entire trains, very colorful, uh, sort of three-dimensional aspects. It's, it's, you know, I feel like we don't need to spend too much time trying to describe it because if you don't know what graffiti looks like, then just go outside. Yeah. Unless you like live in Kansas and they don't do that kind of stuff there. <laughs> um, it uh, got a little uh, reputable in uh, the 70s. When uh, Patty Astor actually featured uh, graffiti in the fun gallery, her art gallery, mm -hmm. and now it's a common thing, you know. Yeah, and the, graffiti galleries all the time. And those those uh, hip hop historians who say yes, graffiti is part of hip hop, point to um, the convergence between hip hop and graffiti, uh, and say that it's centered around a tagger named Hayes, who's got a pretty awesome website. Eric it's, Hayes. It's like this kind of throwback to well, it's like a, a timeline. Of, like, hip-hop and graffiti. Oh, really? Like, if you go through his stuff, it's pretty neat. Yeah, he did the check-your-head font. Yeah, and he he was also, I guess, into photography, too, because some of the album covers he did, either he did the fonts for him or, or whatever, but right. he did Public Enemy. He did um, Young MC. Oh, really? Yeah, he did uh, Tone Lokes albums. Like, so he's doing all these album covers, and he's a tagger. So at, from that point on, people were like, okay, well, this is part of hip-hop now. Yeah. I don't care what you have to say. Did you see uh, Up in the Air, the Clooney movie? Yeah. Remember, I was like, I hate how it ended. You're like, that's the name of the movie. <laughs> I don't remember that. But remember the young MC when he did the corporate uh, party? Mm -mm. He did Bust a Move? No, I don't remember that part. They crashed the corporate party, and he was like the entertainment for the night. But That was in Up in the Air? 
Yeah. I thought that was an episode of Scrubs or The Office. No, no, it was an up in the air, and it really just sort of like nailed that whole like, you know, Verizon's going to do a party, and they're going to hire a rapper, and they get Young MC. Right. It was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, are we to dancing yet? I think we are. All we've right. covered we've covered the music, we've covered graffiti. Yeah. Now we're on to dancing. Okay. Well, break dancing obviously is most synonymous with hip hop, but um, all kinds of other dancing, uh, popping and locking, boogaloo, grinding, down rocking, the Harlem Shake. Yeah, which, which is an original thing, right? Yeah. There's a video from like 2006 or something that this guy did. I can't remember who it was. Um, but he, he it's like the Harlem Shake is the real one. And if you see this and then you see like all the the YouTube viral videos that, right. that were going on recently, and you just see how far off everybody was from the actual Harlem Shake. Yeah. The people in Harlem were actually getting mad. Like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't, do you even know what the Harlem Shake looks like? It was almost like the answer is no. YouTube turned into the Bluth family and everybody was doing the chicken dance. Right. <laughs> even though none of them had ever seen a chicken before. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. That's what a lot of people were doing with the Harlem Shake. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but break dancing is what we're going to concentrate on because it's pretty cool. Um, head spins, back spins. Tell the, them about that video you sent. The windmill. Oh, yeah. Just get on YouTube and look at breakdance 1940s. And That's it. That dude is breakdancing. Yeah, and it's clearly the 1940s. Yeah. Uh, I, I tried to, I was like, am I being tricked here? Is this some fake, you know? It looked pretty authentic. I think it's authentic. Yeah. But that was full on breakdancing. Yeah. Like at first I was like, oh, that's sort of breakdancing. And then he got on the floor and I was like, that's totally breakdancing. Right. So it's hey, been so around. He does the worm. Yeah. He sort of did the worm and he was doing He's that. doing like windmills and stuff. Well, not quite a windmill, but close to a windmill. Yeah, pretty close. Windmill, by the way, I was obsessed with trying to learn that in my ute and uh, never came close obviously i too was a breaker in my youth uh see i wasn't all that was I needed, the problem. oh i was i took breakdancing lessons i made it on the front page of the peach section which was the entertainment <laughs> section of toledo blade where i was breakdancing and like a tracksuit my mom made me by hand man do you have a copy of that i don't know where it is God. it might be out there somewhere um i had a break in ohio t-shirt see, I, had I wasn't that, as into that it as cap the french foreign legion cap yeah yeah I had the whole, man, I was a breaker. Even though I sucked at it, I was a breaker. Could you do the windmill? No, that's what I'm saying. I sucked. Yeah. When but you I get still a good windmill like going, every day. That's like really impressive yeah. still to me today. I could never do that. I get headaches from doing head spins and just fall yeah. over immediately. But it was fun. Uh, the suicide, too. Did you ever do that? Nope. That's a pretty cool move. That's the, the one where the guy basically, she says backflip, but I've most often seen it as a front flip. Yeah. You'd come in and you just flip and land on your back. And the whole point is to make it look painful. Like the more, the harder it is and the more people go, oh, right. it's like the most, more successful suicide. That's when you know you got the crowd in the palm of your hand. <laughs> exactly. And you don't stop then. No way. That's No, you can't stop breaking. You know, um, Yumi took me to the World Breakdance Championships a couple of years ago, like the world. Was it awesome? It was at Relapse Theater, the, the old one on 14th Street. Oh, it was in Atlanta? Yeah. And they had it here in this little theater and like people from... All over the world, yeah. Who were like the best at breakdancing were just there, like in breakoffs and stuff. We just stood around for like eight hours and watched like the best breakdancing you can possibly imagine. That's right awesome. there. It was very awesome. So, not surprisingly, I think you even said earlier, breakdancing came from West Africa as well. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the key elements, um, this 
herky jerky all over body movement, um, interaction with the floor. Yeah. Like not with your, just your feet, obviously. Right. <laughs> um, uh, pantomime and improvisation. Yeah. All came from West Africa and, uh, migrated on the slave ships, kind of joined up with some, uh, Caucasian dancing, like the Lindy Hop and the Charleston. Well, a lot of those grew out of African American uh, okay, dancing, like cakewalk, right? Which is an African American thing that actually, is, um, like, terribly. It, you should read this blog post I wrote on it once. The origin of the term cakewalk. Uh-huh. You'll, you'll never use it again. But the the idea of people lining up and watching other people dancing, yeah, and then taking turns and all that that comes from the cakewalk. Huh. So like people waiting to like jump in and all that, and it was in that breakdancing 1940s video you sent. People were just kind of standing yeah, aside. Yeah. Somebody else would come in, push somebody else to the side, and they were taken over. Like that comes from the cakewalk. It's then later became the Soul Train uh, line, right? Yeah, which is some of the best footage like ever. Still. Yes, you can put any halfway decent song to like a Soul Train lineup, and it's just brilliant after yeah. that. <laughs> the other thing uh, that influenced too was. Um, uh, came from the Caribbean as well and South America in the form of, and I, I even saw a video on how to pronounce this. It's a Brazilian martial art. Uh, capoeira? 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 Capoeira. I don't think that's right. That's what he said. Are you sure? Dude, it was a video on how to pronounce the word. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm sure I didn't do it quite right, but yours is definitely wrong. Um, but martial arts as a whole, like Kung Fu was really big in that community. Yeah. And so like Bruce Lee and uh, all these guys, like tried to like emulate those dance moves. Yeah. And that's why you see so much like fake fighting. Yeah. In break dancing. Cause they're all really just kind of good kids. They spend all their time (laughs) practicing dance moves. Yeah. And so like all the fighting is all just like, Hey, I'm getting in your face. Oh no, I'm getting in your face now. And then, Oh no, you're not. And it's, that's it. Yeah. That's as far as it goes. Good, clean, fun. Yeah. I'm going to outdance you. Yeah. And like, there's probably no other part of hip hop culture that more carries on the original tradition of like, just, you know, don't mean any real harm or anything like that. Whereas having a good time and like, this is all, this is what's cool. Yeah. Then, then the breakdancing aspect of it. Really. Yeah. Agreed. And crumping today, you to see the same thing. Yeah. Like it's battling each other to see who's the best. Yeah. It's kind of fun to watch. Um, in the 80s, it was like breakdancing became a across-the-board commodity, like I, big time. Again, I had a Breakin' <laughs> Ohio t-shirt that my mom purchased for me. Yeah, at probably like pennies or something. Yeah. Um, the movie Wild Style, which is the first hip-hop movie, um, led to Star Wars, Breakin', of course, Breakin' 2. Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> I got that soundtrack in my Easter basket one year. <laughs> Beat Street. I was a little too old, I guess. For Breakin'? Maybe so, or no, I was just, I was listening to the Almond Brothers and stuff. I gotcha. That was the deal. I clearly remember my two older sisters having a, a conversation while we were all watching Break In 2. And they agreed that the girl was really more of a flash dancer than a break dancer. <laughs> yeah. I'll never forget that. And well, the other one went, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> flash dance had a little uh, break in style. Everything in it, had to. Burger King commercials. Yeah. Apparently, Wrangler had a line of jeans ready to go in 1984 called Rapid Transit, starting with a W. Yeah. Like Wrangler. Uh, that didn't get off the ground. Uh, the Moonwalk, of course, which was not invented by Michael Jackson. No, but he was good at it. Well, yeah, he was great at it. Um, the the guy I could find was in 1955, Bill Bailey, at a Showtime at the Apollo show. It's on YouTube. Is it is it as good as Michael Jackson's? Can anybody top Michael Jackson's Moonwalk? 
It's not as good, but he clearly moonwalks. It's not like, well, this is a version. I mean, he moonwalks off the stage right. in the 1950s. Well, okay, so moonwalking goes back to the 50s. They say, uh, and they being, I think, Cool Herker, Africa Bumbada, one of the two said that they think breakdancing finds its origins in a James Brown dance to get on the good foot. Oh, uh, from that song? Yeah, which is from, the, from, I believe, the 60s. That is based on that. Yeah. And backsliding is what they, the originators call moonwalking, by the way. Yeah. Um, so like we said, it's a commodity. It's a video games. It's clothing lines. They start selling, you know, gear and knee pads and special mats to use, you know. When all you needed was a refrigerator box. Exactly. What was that for? For just to make so the ground could, not yeah. as uh, yes. or slicker or whatever? Yeah. Okay. So you're not like doing a, um, a, like a head spin on gravel. Yeah, that was a dumb question, actually. But I, I, like I said, I wasn't into it. Things started to die down in the 80s, though. Yeah, they did. Like, sort of the late that. 80s. But it came back big time in the 90s. It did. Like the latish 90s. And it's still around. Like it never really went away. Yeah, and that led to crumping, like we said, which is my favorite thing to watch on the internet right now. Did you see the crump off on Venice Beach? That one? Uh, I did see that one. That was pretty great, huh? That was good. <laughs> it's just nuts. Well, it looks just so out of control, but it's it's not. Right. That's what makes it so great to me, I think. Crumpin's pretty great, I think we can all agree. So, uh, are we on to fashion? I think we are. Pillar four. Well, let's talk about it. Comfy clothes is really how it started. Yeah. If you have ever seen the TV show What's Happening, yeah. remember Rerun? Oh, yes. He was dressing pretty hip-hop at the time. Yeah. Suspenders. He wore a beret, but it could have very easily been a Kangol hat. I think yeah. he wore a Converse, you know, comfy shoes. Yeah, Adidas is really the brand, though, or was. It was. Um, but at the time, that was super hip-hop. Yeah, just loose, comfortable clothing. With a T-shirt underneath. That you could break dance to. Um, she even contends that the comfort level of the sneakers was why uh, they left them untied early on. Just to be even looser in the shoes and not have, like, your shoes tight. Gotcha. I don't know about that, though. Yeah. Uh, apparently out west, uh, it was military-inspired, uh, and boots were a little more popular on the west coast. Yeah. Is that where Public Enemy's from? Are they west coast? Um, They're New York, right? Yeah. I mean, Chuck D lives in Atlanta now and has for a while. I would like to meet Chuck D. I would, too. But they were not um, Chuck B. Meet Chuck D. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chuck um, Bronson. Yeah. <laughs> But they uh, they weren't from Atlanta, obviously. Where was Public Enemy from? I don't know. I guess New York. But they weren't one of those that they didn't talk about where they were from. They weren't like this they were is the East worldwide. Coast, West Coast. They were worldwide, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then Run DMC, of course, brought in the cool black jeans and black leather. And they had a, the movie Tougher Than Leather. Was that a movie? Yeah, I never saw that. Yeah. I'm sure you did. I didn't. Oh, you didn't? No. And one of the few movies I've ever walked out on in my life was Disorderlies, the Fat <laughs> Boys movie. Yeah. I was in sixth grade, and I was like, this is unwatchable. Well, everyone was trying to tap into that thing. A Crush Groove thing? Yeah. Have you ever seen that one? Oh, yeah. Crush Groove was pretty good. Yeah, it was good. None of these age well, by the way. Oh, no. I haven't seen any of them in a long time. <laughs> Even the good ones don't age well. Um, and then the Adidas, of course, with Run DMC, and they also ushered in... The uh, the Kangols in earnest and the big rope gold chains yeah. and lots of them. And yeah. who, who else did she credit with that? Oh, um, Curtis Blow. That's right. 
<laughs> Curtis Blow. We got to the bottom of that one. Uh, and along with the the black nationalism and the sort of remember our roots back to Africa came a, a big clothing boom. Mm-hmm. I remember very well in high school, um, African-inspired clothing. Yeah. And the red, yellow, and black, and green. Huge. Yeah, everything that every, everybody was wearing in the late 80s was super African-inspired. Yeah. Just bold prints and all that. Like everything kid and play were wearing. Yeah, yeah. Remember that dance, too, where they like jump through the, they'd hold their foot. Yeah, I used to With do arm, that. I could never do that. I, I, there's no way I could do it now. I'd I would like to see myself. it. No way. But uh, uh, Chris Cross, of course, um, wore backwards clothing. Yeah. One of those guys just died. I know. Very sad. Yeah. And then the basketball jersey, um, really baggy, baggy clothing started to become the norm through the 90s, and that's still sort of the style today. Yeah, and supposedly that, that comes from a... Uh, like prison wear, where you're not allowed to wear a belt. Yeah, that's the. Urban that's where the sag was. came from. Yeah, that's a, CNN is quoted as the source here, so take that with a grain of salt. <laughs> uh, and also with the uh, do rag, supposedly is another prison uh, wear thing. Yeah, and then just like uh, with breakdancing, hip hop style became a pretty big business commodity too. Yeah, like Russell Simmons. Oh yeah, started uh, Fat Farm, which is I think still around today, right? Yeah, if you look at most any rap mogul now, it'll say, like, producer, rapper, clothing designer. Right. Like, they're just smart to, to maximize their brand. Yeah, it says here that Jay-Z sold Rockaware for $204 million bucks. Wow. Everything that guy touches turns to gold. Yeah, or platinum. <laughs> <laughs> because platinum, Josh, is where uh, the gold went. It kind of transformed. Transformed? Into mm-hmm. platinum. Right. It's like alchemy. Yeah. Like shiny, silvery platinum and uh, diamond encrusted. Grills. Bling. Grills. Very popular. Yeah. That started out as just like the one gold cap and then turned into like the grills that you can get today are just unbelievable. And I don't think we could ever have a conversation about hip hop fashion without mentioning uh, wearing a huge clock as a pendant around a necklace. Flave. Yeah. Or... Wearing a stolen Mercedes hood ornament yeah. as a necklace pendant. Who did that? The Beastie Boys. Oh, that's Mike right. D. I thought you were going to say the um, multi-finger ring. Yeah, you got that too. That was that was big because of uh, uh, and Do the Right Thing, Love and Hate. Yeah, oh, yeah. He had the two rings. Who Was that the guy with the radio, Rahim? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that again the other day, man. That movie just blows me away still. That's very powerful. I like his later work more. Yeah, you liked it when he got away from uh Like Inside Man and Twenty Fifth Hour. I like yeah. those a lot. I still like Do the Right Thing, but sure. I just like his him branching out. I hear you. Um and also designer uh labels became a big thing, like uh Tommy Hilfiger and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Became really popular. Yeah. Uh and now of course you go anywhere on planet Earth and you're gonna see hip hop and Pretty much any country you go to. You sure are. It is all over the world. It is a global product. And uh, hey, squares and parents, it ain't going anywhere, so just get used to it. That's right. I think a lot of people thought it was a flash in the pan. <laughs> I'm sure. You know, like this rap won't be around long. Yeah. Suckers. Yeah, it's outlasted a lot of other stuff. Agreed. So there you go. We got uh, electronic music to do next. <laughs> Or we did have that dubstep article. Yeah, I don't know. No. (laughs) 
Uh, if you want to learn more about hip hop, you can type those words into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it will bring up this uh, extremely large article on it. Um, and I think I said hip hop, so it's time for a message break. Stuff you should know. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's Reality Podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. And now, listener mail time. Josh, since we were talking about international things toward the end of that show, yeah. I'm going to give a couple of uh, international shouts because we like hearing from our listeners and uh, foreign lands. Yes, we do. So uh, the first one is from France, and we actually asked in our Three Musketeers cast if we had French listeners. Hi, guys. Just wanted to drop you a few lines because I was just listening to your podcast on the Three Musketeers. You were wondering if there were any French up there listening to you. I am one of them. I've been listening to all of your podcasts from the beginning when even the podcast was not even the great pair of you. Oh, wow. I am talking about your podcast to all my friends. And I feel that I know you well from all these hours spent with you. I always laugh when you make fun of the French and our accent. I do not always understand your 100% U.S. references, but love to hear about new things. Take care from Paris. And that's Julie. Thanks a lot. Uh, and then, uh, hi guys, Josh, Chuck, and Jerry. My name is Daniel. I live in Jerusalem. I work in a bakery in the city and love listening to you guys while I work. I want to share a funny little story. One day at work, my boss got mad at me and told me I can't have my headphones during work. And then I told him I was listening to a learning podcast and not music. So to prove I'm not distracted. Okay, is the boss like Nerds Ratchet or something like that? I guess so. 
Uh, to my surprise, he asked, what's the name of the podcast? Confused me a little bit, but I told him it was S-Y-S-K. And I was really shocked when he took out his own phone and showed me his iTunes library was packed with the stuff you should know. So you guys have helped me get through long, depressing shifts with your humor and knowledge. And that is from Daniel in Israel. Nice, Daniel. Thank you for that. Daniel and Julie. Yeah, from France. Thanks, guys. We appreciate you listening over there and standing up to your boss. Yeah. When he's all like, hey, you can't listen to music. But you can listen to stuff you should know. And bake. We're like uh, international ambassadors, basically. Agreed. Uh, if you want to tell us how we're ambassadors in some weird way, we want to know that, okay? What's the problem? Just do it. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can go to Facebook.com. You can go to Stuff Podcast at Discovery.com. I'm ready for this one to be done. And you can join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold-pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater.